Let's focus on what God wants to do through His Word this morning. Amen? Church, this morning, as we spend time focusing on God's infallible Word, I want to share a message with you that I've titled, Godly Character Matters. Godly Character Matters. Now, as we reflect briefly on where the Lord has been leading us as a congregation through His Word this year, I think we are starting to solidify some of the key fundamentals of our Christian faith. Namely, number one, God is sovereign and we're not. Right? We only see what's happening in the horizontal, but God sees everything happening in the vertical, and He has every single detail in His control. Number two, we are God's covenantal people by faith. Why? Because we've trusted in the finished work of the cross. Number three, as God's covenantal people, we will go through trials and suffering in this life. We will experience these strange and unexpected fires. We will have these wilderness moments because until we go to be with the Lord, we remain in the land of our affliction. Number four, God always delivers and saves His covenantal people. Sometimes from whatever they've experienced and sometimes through it. And lastly, number five, in us wanting to know Him more, in us desiring to know who God is, what He has done, and what He has promised, if that's the posture of our heart as we live in the land of our affliction, Yahweh will continually reveal Himself to us in a unique way, church, that will help us to endure, and that will help us to let the past go and focus on our future destiny in Him, because we know that He is always working things out together for the good. Amen? Amen? That's the assurance that we have. And church, when I was thinking about these fundamentals, and the security that we have as believers in the character and nature of Christ, I was thinking to myself, and I want you to think with me. If God is so faithful in the work that He has completed for you and me on the cross, and He's so faithful in completing that process until the end of the age and beyond, justification, sanctification, and glorification, if that is the case, then what really matters to Him while we are living out our lives on this earth? Have you ever thought about that before? Have you ever thought about what really matters to God? Now, what God desires from us can't be reduced to one single thing or to one single message. I get that. But what I want to suggest to you today is that at least one of the things that really matters to God is character. It is our character. As a starting point, look at what it says in Romans chapter 5 from verses 1 to 5 about what Christ has already done and what is the purpose of living the Christian life in the land of our affliction? This is what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But you know what? Not only that. But while we are living in the land of our affliction, verse 3 says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, 
And character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen, somebody. And church, what is this telling us? This is telling us that the purpose of us being justified by faith, to have peace with God, to have access to His grace, to be able to have hope for the future, comes through being able to have joy in suffering because suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces the most important thing, which is character. Because character develops in us the hope and assurance that we need to face another day and to fulfill our calling in this life. Amen? Amen. You see, godly character matters. It matters to God. And it is one of the most important things that God wants to develop in the lives of His covenant people. And church, if we don't have eternity in mind, we might think that this life is all that there is to it. But the reality is that God is wanting to develop godly character in you and me that lasts for eternity. Can you say amen? Church, if you take your notes, the word character can be defined this way. A person's character is the sum of his or her disposition, thoughts, intentions, desires, and actions. Did you get those five things? It's a compound word, which means that it is a combination, not one of them. It is a combination of a person's dispositions, thoughts, intentions, desires, and actions. And if godly character matters to God, then these are the areas of our lives, or at least some of them, that we need to focus on if we are to grow in character and represent God in the way He deserves. Now, to really help us understand what matters to God... I want you to go with me to an old, or book in the Old Testament, a very well-known book in the Old Testament, which speaks about a well-known individual called Job. Go with me to the book of Job. If you've read the book of Job before, you would remember that it's quite a challenging read, but a fascinating read in how God identifies this one man to be tested by Satan. Why? Because God finds pleasure in him, and in particular, the character he portrays. God points out this individual because God loved the fact that Job reflected him in his life. Which is important to take note of, because when the Bible says we are created in in the image and likeness of God, it's saying that we are created in his image, not just physical image, but emotional image and spiritual image as well. You see, who we are supposed to be, who we are meant to be, is to be a reflection of who God is on the earth. That should be the essence of our character. And Job is one of those guys that truly and fully reflected who God was to the point that God is bragging about him. And yes, in the book of Job, you get to see the good, the bad, and ugly side of Job's life. But if you begin to read Job, right from the get-go, it tells you what kind of man he was. And it gives you the character traits that make him stand out above everybody else. And what's fascinating when you start to read the story of Job is that we get a glimpse into the spiritual world in a way that you would not expect. Because it says that God was having a conversation with angels, and in part of that conversation, Satan comes in the midst of them. 
It's a very interesting take on the spiritual world. It's really intriguing because it gives us a glimpse into something that we don't really know that much about. But let me take you to that conversation starting in in verse 6 of chapter 1. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered, and the Lord said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Now, I know that sounds like a, a very vague answer, but church, we know that in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what Satan is doing here. And since that is his modus operandi, since he is seeking someone to devour and he's going to and fro and walking up and down, the Lord says to Satan in verse 8, have you noticed my servant Job? Have you seen my boy Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless. right? He is a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Now firstly, what a compliment coming from God, right? This is not coming from someone else. God himself says he is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless. A man of not just integrity, but a man of complete integrity. He fears me and he stays away from evil. Wow. And church, quick question for you. How would we do if we use this verse as a biblical exercise from time to time to measure our own lives and the character we portray? Could we say that God looks at us and says, Have you seen my servant Ryan? Or my servant Kevin? Or my servant Edgar, or my servant Orient, or my servant Derek, or my servant Belina. And you can add your name in there as well. Have you seen and noticed that he or she is the finest person in all the earth? And that he or she is blameless? A person of complete integrity, a person who fears me and who stays away from evil. Now, if you're saying that's that's absolutely me, guess what? You're lying. Because listen, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and it's only through the finished work of the cross that we can stand before God the Father one day as righteous. But church, we shouldn't use that as an excuse, right? We should use this biblical example among others from time to time to measure our character. Why? Because this is exactly what God is celebrating about Job, and this is what God is wanting to develop in his children. Now, as we move on with the story, what is Satan's response to God? Satan, which is another word for accuser, replies to God and says in verse 9, yes. says, yes, your boy Job is all these things, but Job has good reason to fear you, God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. In other words, look how you're spoiling your boy Job. But if you are willing to prove to me what a good man he is, Satan says, reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now at this point, if you've never read the the Bible before, you would probably expect God to say to Satan, just leave my boy alone. But here's what he actually says. 
Verse 12. He says, all right, you may test him. Hello, somebody. Right? The Lord said to Satan, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Now, if you know the story, the enemy goes on to begin the test. And it's a very challenging, harsh, and difficult test because Job loses everything. He loses his possessions. He loses his wealth. He loses his children. He loses his health. And on top of that, he's got this wife who says to him, curse God and die, Job. And if that wasn't enough, Job has three friends. Three friends, not three enemies, who come to just accuse him and tell him, Job, you must have done something wrong for this to be happening to you. And the biggest chunk of this book, approximately 80% of it, is actually them arguing with each other about who's right. Now, just a quick side note. If you have friends like that, you don't need enemies. (laughs) Right? And church, let me tell you something today. Be careful of people who have a lot of theology, but they don't have the heart of God. Be careful of people who have a lot of opinions about your life and how you should be doing things, but have no compassion. Be careful of people who say you must have sinned to be experiencing this trial in your life, or because you just didn't have enough faith to believe. Be careful of people like that. As you continue reading the book of Job, in there going back and forth and accusing Job of doing evil, Because he must have done something wrong, it eventually gets to the point where God points out their evil and they are put to shame. That's just a bit of a side note for you to think about. But church, here's one of the main points we need to consider this morning. How genuine is your faith? How authentic is your faith? The truth is, you don't know how genuine your faith is unless it gets tested, right? You don't know how real it is until you get tested. And I've got a sobering truth that I want to share with you this morning. Are you ready? Many people who attend church are not truly Christ followers. They are churchgoers. Many people are not truly Christ followers because here's the thing. Please write this down. The way you handle suffering and trials separates the fake from the real. The way you handle trials, tribulations, temptations, pressure, and crisis separates the fake from the real. How we deal with suffering confirms or denies our true faith and character. Why? Because your true colors come out when you're under pressure. The real you comes out when you're under pressure. And how do you know if your faith is genuine? The only way that you know your faith is genuine, it all boils down to this. You never quit. Right? That's the only way you know your faith is genuine. Because Jesus said those who remain faithful till the end will receive the crown of righteousness. Amen? So just to make sure that's not us here this morning. I want to share three sides with you of fake faith and fake believers. And I'm taking these three points from a book called Thriving in Babylon by a Christian author named Larry Osborne. And in this book, he writes about the character of a man named Daniel in the Bible, which is another man who God has high praises for. And he mentions three things that identifies fake believers. Here they are. 
good intentions, high moral standards, and a fast start. Good intentions, high moral standards, and a fast start. Those three things might very well be a counterfeit for the real thing. You know, church, I'm sure you will agree that our world is full of counterfeits. Whether it's counterfeit money or counterfeit clothing or counterfeit parts, just about everything these days can be counterfeited. It's like the story I heard on, on social media about this, this young guy who received a pair of Air Jordans as a birthday present. Was so excited about it, went out and bragged about it. Only to find out later when his friends had a closer look that it, was, it wasn't real. They were fake. And church, the truth is, just like that example, there are counterfeit Christians, there are fake Christians. And here's the thing, it's not up to you and me to separate the fake from the real, that's God's business. But it is up to us to know if we are for real, right? So we need to take a test today to see if we are real based on these three things. Number one, good intentions. You know, many people have really good intentions, but no follow-through. Many people talk a really good game, but they have no action to back up that game. Many people say that they will follow Jesus, but they never get around to it. You know, it's like a person who's quite ill, who's been told by the doctor that if they don't eat healthy and start exercising, there's a good chance that their current lifestyle is going to lead them to becoming severely ill or even lead to death. Right, And even though that person has good intentions, even though they come there with good intentions, if they don't act on their intentions, what's going to happen? They are going to end up becoming severely ill or they're going to end up dying. Good intentions mean nothing. And there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians. In their head, they're really good Christians. But in real time, all they do is just talk a good game. They counterfeit. There's a lot of people with a lot of good intentions, but it was C.S. Lewis who said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And do you know what really exposes the weakness, church, of only having good intentions in your life? When trials and tribulation comes, the intentions go out the window. Because it wasn't real, it was counterfeit, it was fake in the first place. Number two. Here's the one that trips up a lot of people. High moral standards. Now, what does that mean? Because that sounds like a good thing, right? Just that means that people think that if you have morality, you must automatically qualify as a believer. But let me tell you, that's the farthest thing from the truth because some of the most moral people you will ever meet are unbelievers. We've all met good people with a lot of good morality who don't believe in Jesus. And as a, as a matter of fact, some of them will put believers to shame in how good they are and how generous they are. Just take the, the Muslim-run organization, Gift of the Givers. They do amazing work all around the world. They have impeccable morals. They will put certain Christian organizations to shame when it comes to charity work, right? Which is really an indictment on the church, but they're not believers, because you see, church, it's God's goodness that actually leads you to repentance, but it's your goodness that keeps you away from Him because you think you're good enough. Right? You see, for a lot of people, it's good morals, but no obedience to Jesus. 
They create their own morality. They create their own right and wrongs, and they decide what's right and what's wrong, and what they're going to do, not what Jesus says they should do. It's a case of, you know what, I'll structure my life in the way that I want to. And I will add a bit of this, I'll add a bit of that, I'll take a bit from that religion, and then I will add some of the morals I like from the Bible to make sure and make myself feel like I'm living a good moral existence. But you see, that doesn't mean you're a Christian, because there is Christianity and then there is me-anity, right? A lot of people are not genuine believers because they worship themselves. They're just using what's good in Christianity to try better their lives, but it's fake. It's not the real thing. Number three. Here's another one that trips up a lot of people. A fast start. Some people, they, they get involved in church. They start going to church. They're so excited in the beginning, they just want to get involved in every single ministry. Right? Which is not really a bad thing to, to start off with because... Some people who've been going to church for years don't put up their hand for anything. But the problem sometimes with a fast start is that the excitement wanes and you don't see them in church six months down the line. They're just infatuated right now. But at some point the honeymoon is over and their enthusiasm declines. So a fast start doesn't really mean anything because church, the Christian life, is not a sprint. It's a marathon, right? Amen? When Jesus gave the, the parable of the sower, he said there's four kinds of seeds. He spoke about these soils. There's one that is shallow, and it's excited about it, but the enemy comes and snatches that away very quickly. Then there's the one where they kind of go for a little while. But because their life is too rocky and there is no real depth and they are not rooted for long enough, they can't, can't handle it and they get burnt away. And then there's the one who the thorns will begin to squeeze the life out of. And these are the people who are excited about Jesus, but then they get their excitement squeezed out because they have other priorities that are more important. And church, what is this parable telling us? It's telling us that there's a lot of people who are not really believers because they don't withstand the test when they get squeezed. You see, we all get squeezed. But the question is, What's coming out of you when you get squeezed? And it's only when you get tested that you really discover the authenticity of your walk with the Lord. You know, church, I'll be honest with you. I'm not as, as impressed by what people say as much as I am by what they do. I'm not impressed by rhetoric and people there can talk a good game. Because it's not what we say, it's what we do that determines if what we're saying is real or not. Amen? And it's not what we say in the moment. It's what we keep on saying and what we keep on doing over time that builds character that can withstand the test of time. And listen, I'm sorry to be the, the bearer of bad news this morning, but character development only happens when you go through trials and tribulations. Because the Bible says that the way that God purifies and sanctifies His people is through trials and tribulations. He puts them through the refiner's fire. He turns up the temperature. And he brings it up to the highest level so that all the other impurities, all the dross can be removed, and then the real you can shine. Do you know what the word dross means? It means something that is worthless. 
So what God wants to do, He wants to turn up the heat in your life so that He can get rid of all the worthless things in your life so that you can shine and be the person that He intended you to be. Amen? Now, not everybody can stand when the heat is turned up and when the testing comes. But here's the reality. When you wake up to life, you realize you're always in a test. You're always in a test. Even the way that you handle this message is a test. The way that you interact with people after this is a test. Right? The way that you receive good news and bad news this week is a test. It's all a test. It never ends. Why? Because life is a test to make sure that we are prepared for the next one. If you read the entire book of Job, you'll see that Job passed the test, but it wasn't easy. Right? And church, here's what I want us to focus on during the last part of this message today. There are four things that God himself points out about Job's character. He mentions four things about Job that if you're a follower of Christ, you should pay attention to. But if you're fake, it won't excite you all that much. He says, look at my boy Job. And the first thing he points out is that he is blameless. And you know what that word blameless means, church? It means to be virtuous. It means to be guiltless, among other things. It means to be sincere. It means to be honest. And I don't know if you've noticed what I've noticed, but we don't have too many honest people in our world these days. And the first thing that God identifies about Job is his honesty since he's blameless. Look at what the, the psalmist says about this in, in Psalm chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. David says, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? In other words, what are the qualifications? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Can you start to see what, what really matters to God, church? You know, I'll have people come up to me Sometimes after a message like this one, and they'll say, Pastor, that was a really hard message. Well, that was a bit of a paksla. <laughs> but what they don't realize is that the first person I preach to every week is me. And try and live with that message all week long. Because the, the first question I have to ask is, God, how am I doing here? I can't tell somebody else, to be honest, if I'm not willing to be honest. Right? We need to look at ourselves. And church, it's like God is saying to you and me, yes, you're looking at the world through binoculars. Yes, you're looking at how other people are doing, but I'm going to put mirrors in those binoculars so that you can take a good, honest look at yourself to make sure that you're not a fake believer. And if we had to look into that mirror today, how would we be doing in this area of being honest, of being sincere, and being blameless? The second thing that God says about Job is that he has complete integrity. Now look, it doesn't take a genius to know that integrity is something that we are really lacking in our society today. But do you know what the word integrity really means at the core of it? Do you know what it is, church? It means to be one person. Right? Because listen, if you're a fake believer, you're not one person. If you're a fake believer, you're one person in church, and you're another person outside the church. Hello, somebody. 
If you're a fake believer, you're one person on Instagram and Facebook when you're posting these beautiful scriptures about the Lord and you're responding to other people saying, Amen, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But a very different person, three o'clock in the morning, when you're swearing at your neighbor and beating your wife. And you see, integrity is I'm the same person in the building and outside the building. Because it's just a building anyway. And because I should be the same person when I come to Frontline Church, when I go to the gym, when I meet up with my old friends, when I go to my mother-in-law's house. It's supposed to be funny, that, but anyway, didn't get that right. Or when I'm on Instagram or when I'm on Facebook. Church, you don't want me being your pastor here and some other person outside, right? And if that doesn't apply to me, it shouldn't apply to you neither. Integrity is being one person. And it's not about being perfect, it's about being authentic. Stop trying to be someone different. Be who you are, the same person who you are at home. Be genuine, be authentic. Have a look at what David says here in 1 Chronicles chapter 9 about integrity. He says, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. You see, church, your motives matter. And the truth is only God knows what's in the heart. Right? I don't know what's, I can't control what's going on in your heart. I can't control what you're going to do when you get out of here, but I can control what I do when I get out of here. Right? Only God knows what's authentic and what's not. The third thing that God says about Job is that he fears God, right? And that's a, a massive topic on its own. But church, what we can take from that is that he was completely devoted to God because that's what happens when you sincerely fear him. You completely devote every part of your life to him. And do you want to know if you're fake or real? Do you pick or choose? Do you obey God or do you pick or choose? Right? Do you obey God all the time, or do you pick or choose when, when you want to obey God? And let me throw this one out at you. Do you submit to the leadership of your, of your church, or is submission a swear word to you? Another word for devotion is obedience, and as a true believer, you should obey even if it's hard, even if it is inconvenient. At church, it's not always easy. Because it's your will and your flesh fighting against God's will. But Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Why? Because it's going to deceive you. Seek His will in all that you do, and He will show you which path to take. Amen? You know, so many people bypass the will of God because they do what is convenient for them. They pick and choose. Many people are miserable today because God said, don't date that guy or don't date that girl. And they're like, God, don't worry, I got this. They pick and choose. People even bypass the will of God when it comes to their involvement in church. What do I mean by that? There's times in leadership where you have to bring some godly counsel and correction into people's lives because the Bible says this is what we should do. And they obviously thank you for it, right? No, they don't. They leave the church, they become offended when you correct them. They fail the test and they show that it wasn't real in the first place. They show that it was fake. 
And church, I know this is somewhat of a hard message today, but I just want to make sure that we understand the purpose of going through trials and tribulations is not to become a sour Christian or a grumpy Christian or an offended Christian. The purpose of trials and tribulations is to develop godly character because authentic godly character matters to God. Amen. Let me give you the last one as we, we start to wrap up. The final thing that God says about Job is that he turns away from evil, which means that he hates sin, right? Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, let love be genuine. In other words, let it be sincere from the heart. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Friends, if you want to know if you're a real follower of Jesus, here's a question you need to ask yourself. Do you hate sin or do you flirt with it? Yes, I said earlier that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but in your sinning, do you hate that sin or do you like to actually flirt with that sin? Some people are like, you know what, how close to hell can I get without going in? Right? And they're saying all along, why are you judging me? I don't know, maybe it's because you're so close to hell. Maybe it's because your life is so full of good intentions, but your intentions aren't authentic. I don't know about you, but I want to get as, as far away from hell as I can get, amen? amen? Right? Don't flirt with sin. Develop a hatred for it. Church, you've got to check to see if your faith is real once in a while, because you're in a test all the time. Every day in every way. In your conversations... In your situations, your trials, your tribulations, and even opportunities will come to test your faith. Because it's in the testing that the real you can be purified and where you can illuminate Christ in a world that is getting darker and darker by the day. Job even had a revelation of this truth when he was going through this process of trying to figure out who God really was and why he was being tested. Because look at what he says in Job chapter 23. He says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. I go backward, but I cannot perceive him. To the left he turns, but I cannot behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take, and he pays attention to it. Listen to this. When he has tested me, I will come forth as refined gold, pure and luminous. Can you see the purpose of testing? God wants us to come out. He wants us to come out pure as gold. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm chapter 66. He says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Amen? We serve a God who always delivers His people. And church, when you finally get towards the end of, of Job, God decides to speak. Because for 80% of it, it was just Job and his so-called friends going at it. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's right? Who's wrong? Which doctrine is right? Which interpretation is right? It kind of sounds a bit like YouTube, doesn't it? <laughs> They're going back and forth, and God's like... That's cute, but now it's time for me to talk. 
For three chapters, God speaks, and he says to Job in chapter 38, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God, I can't answer that. Okay, Job, answer this one then. Where were you when I told the oceans you can go so far and no further? Where were you when I created the planets and put them where they are? Where were you when I commanded the morning to appear and caused the sun to rise in the east? Job, where were you? After God speaks, and he speaks a lot, and he puts Job in his place, Job has a chance to respond, and I end with this. Job says in in chapter 42, verses 5 and 6, he says, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Church, we all think we know what we're doing until we get tested. And it's in the testing that you really discover the authenticity of your walk with the Lord. But not only that. It's in the testing and the endurance we develop through the testing and this refining process that God reveals himself to us in a new way where we can say, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. And I want to to say to you today, don't despise suffering. Don't despise these strange and unexpected fires that come. Don't be like Job's wife who said, curse God and die. Rather be like Job who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Because we know, church, that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. Tell the person next to you, character. And character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Can we give God some praise in this place for a few moments? Let's pray together. Father, as we conclude this time together, we just want to thank you for the truths revealed to us today. We thank you for your word which illuminates our path and guides us toward a deeper understanding of your will for our lives. Lord, your word in Romans chapter 5 speaks to us about the purpose of suffering and how it produces endurance, which in turn develops character and ultimately leads to hope because we have hope in you. Help us, Lord, to embrace this truth and help us to embrace the refining process of our character through the trials we face in this life. Lord, we confess that we often fall short of the character you desire from us. So we ask that you forgive us of our shortcomings and strengthen us to walk in integrity and obedience to your will and help us to hate sin and to turn away from evil, seeking to honor you in all that we do. And Lord, as we go from this place today, may the truths we have heard sink deep into our hearts and may it bear the fruit that we need in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your unwavering love and faithfulness toward us and may our lives be a reflection of your character, bringing glory and honor to your name. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen Amen and Amen. Church, isn't God's word amazing? Can we just thank the Lord for his word this morning?